Please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, is where we're going to begin. Um, It's a blessing to be able to gather once again and close this Lord's Day together. And once again, enjoyed the Christmas pageant and trust the Lord will bless the preaching of His Word here this evening. Um, If you've been with us week by week, when I typically, when I stand here behind this sacred desk, I, um, we've been going through the Gospel of, of Mark, and um, I thought that we would take, um, go back to the beginning of the Gospel of Mark and look at just the opening verse that introduces that Gospel, and then pair that with a familiar passage from the Gospel of Matthew. Each of the first four books of the New Testament give us an account of the life of Christ, His ministry, his life, his miracles, his teaching, his suffering, his death, his resurrection. However, each gives it from its own perspective. Matthew begins with Abraham. Luke begins with the parents of John the Baptist, as we've been uh, noticing in our Sunday morning uh, scripture reading. John really begins in eternity past when he borrows those words from the opening pages of Scripture itself in the beginning. Only Matthew and Luke, as you may be familiar, only those two Gospels give us details of Christ's birth and infancy. But Mark, how does he begin? He begins with the Gospel. So this evening we want to look at the Gospel and what does it have to do with Christmas. So let us pray and ask God's blessing upon the reading of His Word And then let us see how his word speaks to us tonight. Let us pray. Gracious and merciful God, we are humbled at the opportunity to look at your word. We know it is from you. They are, these words on the pages of Holy Scripture are your very words, oh God. And and we we sense that with confidence. And Lord, we, we sit under its authority. Lord, it is inerrant and it speaks to us today. So Lord, we pray that you would grant us grace to see what the call of the gospel is upon each life that is here and is sitting under the sound of my voice. So, Lord, we ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts, Lord, would be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Please turn over, if you will, to Matthew chapter 1, and we'll read a passage that you heard already this evening, if you were here for the pageant, beginning with verse 18, Matthew 1, 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Amen. And we praise God that he has spoken to us in his holy and inerrant word. What is Christmas all about? 
Well, we saw it portrayed for us, the Christmas story from God's Word, but so many times that story is overshadowed with the trappings of the things that we are given and the things that we're expected to do. For some, it's time with family, and that's a good thing. For some, it's all the decorations, and I don't know about you, but it seems like maybe it's just because everybody's been cooped up with COVID, but they're the decorations are just kind of over the top this year, and more and more people are, uh, are, are decorating their homes. Even we put a few lights on trees in our yard this year. For some, it's the, the food, the candies, the cookies, the Christmas dinner. For some, it's the gifts. In the movie A Christmas Story, the young hero, Ralphie, can think of nothing else in the Christmas season than that Red Rider BB gun. Maybe that's what defines Christmas for you, is that gift that your heart is set upon. But Christmas is so much more than obsessing over one particular gift or even all of the gifts around the tree. We've seen it told this morning, but why is this story from God's Word important? Why did Jesus come as a baby? Well, as you might guess from the, the reading of, of the scripture and the text that I've chosen, that it's really all about the gospel. So what is the gospel? I hope it's familiar to you, as Pastor Greco reminded us this morning, that his job and my job as well is to remind you of those things that, that you may already know. But maybe you've never heard the gospel before. Maybe you've heard it but haven't truly received it. Maybe you haven't understood it. If that's true, I hope you hear it anew and you respond in faith. And if you've heard it and taken it to heart and responded in faith, then I trust this message this evening is a sweet reminder of the grace that is ours in Christ. And I want to look at this, these texts under three simple headings. What is the gospel? Why is it good news? And the good news is for you. So what is the gospel? Well, some people treat the Bible as an advice book. They think, well, there's some good platitudes in it. They might look at the, the, the book of Proverbs and think about the way of wisdom and the things that we can learn to make our lives better. Maybe they think it's a way to be successful. They treat the gospel as good advice. But it's not just good advice. There's something that the gospel calls us to. It's more than just mere advice. The, the word gospel comes from the old English, gospel, which means glad tidings or good news. I'm sure you've heard that before. When you think of the good news or the glad tidings, especially at this time of year, you'll probably think of the, the, the words of the angel given to the shepherd in Luke 2, where they announced the birth of Jesus. They they told the shepherds that they were bringing them good tidings of great joy. And they proceeded to tell them that Christ was born that night in Bethlehem. That word, gospel, was used in the first century to make an announcement of a victory in battle or the enthronement of a king. It was, it was something that, that carried with it this glorious good news of victory and of good tidings, of great things that had come to not just an individual, but to a society, to a culture, to a people. In the Old Testament, it was used to speak of the restoration of God's people under the rule of God. 
it's good news, but it's not just good news about something, it's good news about someone. That text there from Mark 1.1 says it's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The message that those angels brought was a message about the arrival of the Christ child. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, they said. It was indeed the best news ever. But why? What makes the arrival of this child good news? Well, we've already said it's about someone. It's about Jesus Christ who came as a baby. The birth of any baby is really good news. I'm blessed with eight living children. And with the birth of, of each of those, it was my job as the proud father to proclaim that. And most of them were born before the days of Facebook. I guess they all were, really. And so it meant taking, uh, picking up the phone and calling my parents, calling my siblings, and, and calling our loved ones to proclaim the good news that we had been blessed with another child and they had safely arrived. And what joy that brought. But the birth of Christ was not just another child, was not just any child. This was Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And Matthew says in verse one, uh, 21 that he will save his people from their sins. We know from the context of that passage there, beginning in verse 18 of Matthew 1, that, that those were words that were spoken to Joseph. And here is Joseph engaged to be married to Mary. And then Mary turns up pregnant. Joseph knows that he's not the father. And he's wondering, what, what should he do? Here he was, legally committed to marry this woman, this woman that he loved, and he recognizes that he's going to have to exercise that clause in the law that says he can divorce her under these unfortunate and embarrassing and sinful circumstances, at least in his mind, of what he perceives it to be. And, and in the natural way of looking at it, there is really no other way to look at it, that she must have been unfaithful to him. So what is he to do? He is a kind man and he wants to do the right thing, but he wants to do it quietly and avoid embarrassment to her. And it's as he's contemplating these weighty matters that the angel appears to him. And the first words are he said, that the angel says is, do not fear. God speaks these words so often because we are often so anxious. Joseph certainly had good reason to be anxious and having an angel appear to you would only make you more anxious. But his command, this command was not just a general do not be afraid. It was specific. He says, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Because this child whose father Joseph did not know was conceived of the Holy Spirit. If he was confused and troubled before, he must have been even more so after that. To wonder what in the world does that mean? The angel continues and tells Joseph that Mary will have a son and that he is to name him Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sin. That should have been a huge clue. And I'm sure it was to Joseph that this was no ordinary child. Conceived of the Holy Spirit in the womb of his mother Mary. And born of her yet without sin, as our catechism says. The angel tells him that... He will save his people from their sins, that 
That word Jesus, as you are probably familiar, is, is a form of the Hebrew word Joshua. Jehovah saves. Joshua, of course, was the, there were more than one Joshua in the Old Testament. Um, the one that, that you likely think of is the Joshua that, that followed Moses and led God's people into the promised land and, and was the one that secured victory for God's people. But the angel didn't directly speak of that Joshua, but rather borrows words from the psalmist who spoke in Psalm 130 of the Lord redeeming Israel from all his iniquities. Jesus is the Savior. He was also the Christ. We see that in Mark 1. And of course, that's not his last name. That's a title. And it means that the, he was the anointed one. In the Old Testament, those who were, who were anointed were prophets and priests, priests and kings, and sometimes prophets. And Christ, of course, is all of these. He is the final prophet. And he is our priest and our king. The book of Acts tells us that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. So Christ is God's chosen anointed king. By the first century, the term Messiah pointed to the promised Davidic king that would come. Mark here is saying that the gospel is about salvation and the fulfillment of that promise of God's chosen king in the line of David. And the final description that Mark gives us is that term, Son of God. Mark says so much in those few words in Mark 1.1. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. God told David in 2 Samuel 7 that he would provide one to sit on David's throne. One that would build a house for his name and he would establish his kingdom forever. And when David first heard that, no doubt he thought of his kingly line, his biological descendants just continuing forever in David's mind. But we know that that was about Jesus Christ. Because in 2 Samuel 7, 14, he says, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. The one that would sit upon the throne of David would have a special relationship with God. And we know it's not just a mere, mere man that sits upon that throne. It is the Son of God, Christ, the Divine One, God Himself. Very God of very God. Colossians 2 tells us, For in Him the, full, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. J.C. Ryle says about that passage from Mark that it is a very fitting place this truth is at set at the beginning of the gospel. The divinity of Christ is the citadel and keep of Christianity. Here lies the infinite value of the satisfaction he made upon the cross. Here lies the peculiar merit of his atoning death for sinners. That death was not the death of a mere man like ourselves, but of one who is over all God blessed forever. In other words, the only way that Full satisfaction of sins could be made was for God to take on the penalty of our sins. Ryle continues, we need not wonder that the sufferings of one person were a sufficient propitiation for the sin of the world. When we remember that he who suffered was the son of God. It's because he was the son of God. Because he was God incarnate that he could bear the awful penalty of our sins. The gospel is good news because it's about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior. 
But it's also good news as it stands in such contrast, such sharp contrast to the bad news. Amy and I were talking to some friends of ours the other day, and, and we were kind of comparing Texas winters with Kansas winters. And the good thing about Texas is that there's still some leaves on the tree at this time of year. And if you're from the Midwest, you know that this time of year until about March at least, it's pretty gray and it's pretty brown. But every once in a while, if you drive past a field of winter wheat, you see a patch of green. And it's a sharp contrast. And it, rem it reminds you that spring really is coming in spite of the dreariness of the landscape around you. The gospel is, kind of shines in that way because it's such sharp contrast to the bad news. Matthew tells us that Jesus will save us from our sins. Our sin is the bad news. Now, many today will admit they're sinners. It seems kind of in, in fashion. I even heard a song about a man singing about how he was a sinner. But few stop to think about what that means. Often people will admit, yes, I'm, I'm less than perfect. I, I do some wrong. I make some mistakes, but I'm better than the next guy. Or I'm better than a lot of people. Or I'm better than something else. Because there's always somebody else or something else that we compare ourselves to. And maybe we're just a small sinner. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The reason we're sinners at all, whether in our own minds we're a little sinner or we're a big sinner, is because of our father Adam, who sinned and we sinned in him and fell with him in his first transgression. We fell when he fell. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, For as in Adam all die, and so in Christ shall all be made alive. God is our creator. We owe him our complete and total obedience. We owe him our allegiance. And we have fallen and we do not obey. But sin is more than just a little mistake or inconsistency. Sin is a failure to obey God's law. And what makes sin so wicked and dark and black is that it is against a holy and a righteous and a perfect God. What is his standard? Well, it's complete obedience. Matthew 5.48 says, Therefore you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And we think, does God really expect that? Wait a minute. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. Nobody in here is perfect. So how can God say that? Well, he is telling us about himself. He is telling us that we as his children, as his creation, as men and women, boys and girls, made in his image, this is the standard. And we have to recognize that we fall short of that. And every sin deserves God's wrath and curse, both in this life and in the life that is to come. Now, this may seem foreign to you if you think that you're basically good. And maybe you just want to be left alone to carry on in that thought. If that's you, let me challenge you from another angle. I had a mentor while I was in seminary who said, this, this is what the gospel is. The gospel is God's rescue to my triple crisis. And he said, the triple crisis is this, is that one, I have a rebellious heart. I don't want to follow God's law. 
I think if we're honest, that's all of us. I have a rebellious heart. I have a guilty record. Number two, I'm a sinner and I deserve to go to hell. And thirdly, I have a broken life. My life is broken. And I don't think anybody can argue with that. We like doing our own things. We know there's a God that calls us to do right, and Scripture bears that out. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we all suffer those effects of sin. It's all around us, and especially we see it this year. We see it in our relationships, we see it in our bodies, we see it everywhere around us that our lives are broken. So... What's the rescue from this triple crisis? Well, for the rebellious heart, God promises a new heart. Ezekiel 36 says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Secondly, in exchange for that guilty record, he gives us a clean record. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And thirdly, in exchange for that broken life, he gives us new life. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The solution is that we have been forgiven of our sins if we have trusted in Christ. Instead of our sins that we deserve or for which we deserve the penalty, instead of that penalty being laid upon us, it was laid upon Christ. And the perfect life that he lived is credited to our account. This is the glorious good news. This is the gospel. Finally, please know that this good news is for you. Matthew 1.21 says that Jesus will save his people from their sins. Now there's a lot of discussion over who are his people and who did he come to save. Well, in the minds of first century readers, that probably they probably thought primarily of the Jewish people. That were, those were God's chosen people, God's covenant people. But we don't have to read very much of scripture to know that God was not always pleased with his covenant people, and not all of his covenant people truly walked in the covenant. And there were provisions and there were instances where, where God brought others into the covenant that were not of the same ethnicity, not of that Jewish race. John the Baptist had sharp leaders for the words, for the sharp words for the leaders of the Jews. He said in, in, uh, later in Matthew, bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. In other words, he's telling those leaders, don't think you're secure because of your ethnicity. Don't think you are secure because you're a child of Abraham. Inclusion in those, that group of God's people is more than just whose descendant you are. And in the book of Acts, we see the people from scores of languages and ethnicities coming to be part of God's people. And as scripture continues to unfold, we see that the message of salvation is for all people, all who will repent and trust in Christ as their savior. We see 
At the end of the age, a huge group of the redeemed from every tongue, tribe, and nation. They are bound together, not based upon the color of their skin or the language that they speak or their traditions or their cultures, but they are bound together as the redeemed people of God. They are those who have trusted in Christ as their Savior. They are the followers of Christ. And this gospel message demands something of us. There are certain things that we cannot walk away from and ignore. Imagine if you're walking along the street and you see a man bleeding and passed out. It would be dreadfully wrong for you to pass by and say, it's not my job to help him. Or I don't have the skills to help him. You need to find someone to help someone that's dying. And if you are without Christ tonight, you are dying and you must respond. Part of the gospel message is that God is just and righteous and judges sin. He would not be a good God if he did not judge sin. I, for one, would not want to live in a world where God does not judge sin. The passage we read at the opening of, of our service, Isaiah 55, it, it invites you to come. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Jesus asks you to come. Jesus invites you to come. And Jesus commands you to come. But all you must do is come. Tonight, I offer you the gospel. I'm not here to sell you anything. This is not a sales pitch. I hope I have convinced you of your need. But as another has said, I'm just a hungry beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. So come to Christ. If you do not know him as your Savior, come today. Come and repent of your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no better time. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You must come, you must believe, and you must repent. And you must come in faith. You must trust in Christ. You must believe his promises. You must receive and rest on him alone for your salvation. If you've trusted in Christ... And I know that many of you have, and you've been given the greatest gift of all. Christ is much better than any gift we could imagine. As we close, I want to leave you with Titus 3, verses 4 through 8, which says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That word loving kindness there in verse 4 is from the same root that we get our word in the English, philanthropy. God is the great philanthropist. Christ is the great philanthropist. He gave himself so that we might receive eternal life. That we might be saved from the curse and punishment of sin. He came to save us from our sins. Come to him and trust in him today. As the words to the song we sang this evening. Christ the babe 
was born for you. That's what Christmas is all about. Let us pray.